Today on The Tappy Show, Kathleen Kennedy is demoted coincidentally after the South Park Pandaverse special. Maryland firearm licensing ruled unconstitutional. Republican primary update has Trump at 60.3%. Chris Christie claims Trump is senile and can't recall who he is running against. Hewlett Packard CEO claims that AI will double the growth rate in the PC category. John Deere notes higher borrowing rates may dent their demand in 2024 for their products. Broadcom completes their VMware purchase after China signs off and approves. And Kia Hyundai to recall about 6 million vehicles due to a risk of fire. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice today. Guys, he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, you see, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of November, so if you could click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Now going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Hewlett Packard CEO saying that AI will double the growth rate of the PC category. Now this comes to us thanks to a reporter by the name of Julie Coleman over at CNBC, and specifically HP Inc., which Again, marketing is a fascinating thing where I think they never really capitalized on the combination of the companies. Hewlett Packard had bought up Compaq years ago and they started to make a lot of products, including laptops and even infrastructure for the data center, like servers, storage, and networking. But the companies were all, they're, all, they're really always separate, even though on paper they were the same company. So a few years back, I believe in 2017, Hewlett Packard split into two companies. So now when we say HP Inc. or HP, that's the separate business that is known for selling printers, laptops, and more of the consumer grade products. And Hewlett Packard Enterprise, or HPE, that's the side that got the data center basically. So you got the servers, the storage, and the networking, including the purchase of Aruba Networks, which is now fully incorporated into the company's portfolio. And they're two separate publicly traded companies, but marketing is still a little flustered to say the least, because I know so many customers who still call the companies. The different names so nevertheless specifically today we're talking about pcs which falls into hewlett packard inks or hp inks portfolio now that ceo is enrique lores and he noted that quote ai will drive a significant momentum in this category some in 2024 more in 2025 and more in 2026. now he specifically said as we have said before we think this is going to double the growth of the pc category starting next year Lori said that the new technology will enable users to gain access to the cloud with their PCs, allowing them to receive analysis from complex language models, quote unquote, locally. He also claimed that the new computers will not significantly be more expensive than previous models, estimating an average price increase between 5% and 10%. I'd be fascinated to know if that does or does not include inflation, because that's one of those things where that could also be a big curveball as the government just prints more and more money, especially in the United States, and all of a sudden a computer is costing $10,000 and it used to cost $1,000. I'm not saying it's going to get that bad, but again, 40-year hyperinflation, something to always take into account and think about. Enrique clarified and additionally said, quote, he added that the PC market had become recovered, saying that the growth will also be bolstered by the transition from Windows 10 to Windows 11, and he noted that the second half was stronger than the first half here, and we expect the market to grow in 2024 compared to 2023. Now, interestingly enough, I'm kind of curious to see the long-term stock price. 
Now he says that, but I'm not too sure just because of all the economic and political uncertainty. HP Inc. does make a lot of their money from consumer grade models in terms of models you can go to Walmart or Target, the ones you can buy online. But they also have a whole department at HP Inc. for the business grade models, which usually cost more, more reliable. And that's a big part of their sales portfolio as well. And when it comes to businesses, a lot of them are putting a pause on some of these. Some people would debate unnecessary IT hardware refreshers. Now, I'm a little biased. I work in IT, so I think you should refresh your hardware more frequently, partially because of reliability. And then uh, there are some security vulnerabilities if you're talking about like a network refresh. But nevertheless, it's one of those instances where a lot of the things in IT, the band-aid that a lot of companies do when they're running out of budget or they don't have enough much budget they did last year is instead of refreshing all their PCs, AKA recycling the old ones and buying new ones, well, they just have their employees hold on those PCs for an extra year or two or three. In some cases, the business has gotten so bad they wouldn't replace the PC unless it broke, which is extremely frustrating if you're an employee working there and your computer's slow as molasses, which incidentally, interestingly enough, did work when I, when I actually worked at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, they actually had a policy where Thankfully, they changed this, so if you work there now, you're not in this precarious situation. They had an instance where, unless the computer broke, they wouldn't replace it. And I knew someone who had like a seven and a half year old computer, and it was slow and inefficient, but the company still wouldn't replace it because they were strapped for cash and they were trying to tighten their budget. So he's saying that they think the category is going to get better next year, but let me know in the comments if you think that really happened. I mean, their stock is doing great. Hewlett Packard Inc. stock is about $28.66 per share. Five-year trend is up 27%. The past one year, however, is down 4%. Year to date, it's up by 7.14%. In the past six months, it is down 6.22%. In the past month, it's up 10.74%. Past five days, it's about even, only going up by half a percentage. So, eh. I mean, long-term, their stock has been doing pretty good. And it'll be interesting to see, let, and again, let me know in the comments, are you planning on buying a computer next year? Because again, that is a big part of their sales portfolio is consumer grade products. And if you're gonna buy a computer, why or why not? And do you think you or the company you work at, are they gonna do a computer refresh next year that would help bolster some of their sales? Be fancy here, what you have to say. Other interesting business news, you have John Deere noting higher interest rates may result in less demand for their products next year. Now. Oddly enough, they're somehow still based in Illinois after all these years. I can't help but debate or place of, well, I'm not much of a gambling man, but I can't help but wonder, when will they relocate to Texas too? Because darn near every company is because there's so much fiscal incentive as well as having an awesome culture as well. But one of the biggest rivals of John Deere was Caterpillar and they relocated to Irving, Texas, I want to say about seven to nine months ago. And they're saving a copious amount in taxes to say the least. And I'm sure a lot of their employees are very happy since Texas is one of the very few states that does not steal, I mean, does not have an income tax, unlike many of the majority of the other states. But nevertheless, going back to John Deere, they noted that their 2024 forecasts are going to be below, profits are below what analysts' expectations on earlier uh, this week, saying that higher borrowing costs and tighter budgets will likely dent demand for the farm equipment, makers, agriculture, and construction machinery. A lot of people say that Deere is a barometer for the global economy, predicted in a downturn in agriculture and construction equipment sales across all regions for the fiscal year ahead, validating analysts' concern that the demand may have peaked for the big industri industrial companies. 
senior machinist by the name of Stephen Volkman said, quote, we all believe that the market was getting soft, but not this soft. Now, looking at their stock in terms of John Deere, pulling that up really quick here. Jesus Louise, it's pretty penny. Well, I should clarify, a vintage pretty penny since a penny nowadays is 99, literally 99.99% zinc, also known as trash, while as a vintage penny, had to be minted before 1982 or six, I forget. But it was a majority of copper, so it's actually worth something. Now, I should say that because their stock price is right now at $370.76. Now, looking at the trend, five-year trend, they're up 139.39%. In the past year, though, they're down 15.26%. Year to date, down 12.62%. In the past six months, they're increased their stock price by 2.85%. In the past month, it's kind of about the same. It's only down by 0.67%. Five-day trend is down about 3%. So not too, not too surprising there. Now, they noted that the shares were down 5% earlier this week. Wednesday, the company now expects 2024 net income to come in between $7.75 billion and $8.25 billion, far below the consensus for $9.33 billion, according to LSEG data. The heavy equipment maker's net income for the quarter rose to $2.37 billion, or $8.26 per share topping the consensus of $7.47 per share. They continue to say, despite beating Wall Street profit expectations, the Illinois-based manufacturer stock slump, mir slump mirrors peers such as Capital that also outperformed forecast. Executives at the conference told investors that Deere intends to cut farm equipment production and said that, quote, shifting agricultural market dynamics, unquote, will lead to a decline in demand. Well, they also have a lot of other competition that's been sprouting and growing, pun moderately intended, in the United States. I know Case New Holland is growing exponentially. We talked to a lot of the farmers out there. John Deere's been not so great if you're a farmer. They've been locking them in, very similar to smartphones. There's a lot of farmers who they like to have the right to repair their products that they purchase. And when you're in the middle of the field, in the middle of nowhere, it's kind of hard to have a dealer come out and fix your stuff. So I believe that also is an issue with Case New Holland. The debate is which one's worse, of course, but that's another big point of contention in the agricultural industry. And as you have other industries that are growing, especially you see a little bit more in construction, it's not too surprising that they might shift the amount of products that they make and make more construction versus agricultural. Now they noted that net farm income in, is forecast to decline 18% compared to a year ago, according to the agricultural department. They noted that the net sales for for his precision agricultural portfolio are expected to be down 15 to 20% next year. They also noted that sales from equipment operations declined 13.8 billion from 14.35 billion a year ago. So it'll be interesting to see, again, I don't give any financial advice. Uh, best advice I can use tell, usually give people is just to invest in yourself or gamble on yourself by starting a small business or learning a new craft or trade. But it'll be interesting to see what happens to John Deere and what if they just wanna save, you know, millions upon millions of dollars, we're just literally moving across state lines to Iowa or some other area that's a little bit more business friendly. It'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Broadcom completing its VMware deal as China approves the sale. Now, Broadcom is darn near one of the most diverse IT companies. They've been buying out companies left and right for years. 
one of the biggest ones that I remember because I had friends Andrew who worked there was CA Technologies, which is a huge software company. Now, it looks like it finally closed its $69 billion acquisition of the cloud computing firm VMware, which perhaps one of the most valuable patents in history in terms of the technology of VMware. It's rudimentally speaking, it's an instance where it used to be back in the day, every application you needed for your business had to have a separate physical server. So rack mount, big, heavy, expensive machinery, and he wasn't very utilized because not all the applications would use the whole CPU and use the whole performance. So there's a lot left over. So a brilliant entrepreneur said, well, why don't we have software and we just divide it virtually? That's rudimentally what it did. It allows you to put on multiple applications on the same physical server. Very simply put, that's how this company was founded. And of course, it saved companies a lot of capital because they didn't have to go out and buy a physical server per every app. It was a brilliant idea and it grew company exponentially and they've been bought and sold a couple times since now it looks like china was the last and largest market that they need regulatory approval now it looks like the deal one of the biggest globally when announced in may 2022 was the latest in ceo hawk tan's effort to boost the chip maker software business and again this is coming out thanks to a reader's article by the name of harshita mary vaghizi and of course, very similar to Microsoft trying to pick, trying to acquire or finish the acquisition of Activision Blizzard, they allowed regulatory scrutiny. So a lot of the countries, a lot of governments were saying, hey, we, you might be too big. We're gonna have to dive in, look at your numbers and see if this would create a anti-competitive industry if you were to acquire them. So it'll be interesting to see what this does with Broadcom's overall portfolio. But a lot of people were surprised because again, this is one of the largest IT acquisitions. And it looks like the European Commission had already approved the acquisition of Broadcom when they offered remedies to help rival Marvel Technologies, while the UK's Competition and Markets Authorities gave its green light following the in-depth investigations. So it'll be interesting to see if VMware operates more as an independent subsidiary or do they just kind of merge everything into one. Historically speaking, that's usually how Broadcom is operated. But be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Now, going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have Kathleen Kennedy getting demoted after the South Park Pandaverse episode had been released with Dave Filoni being promoted. Now, I actually did, this is an investigative reporter, I believe this was Kathleen Kennedy at a restaurant and just, just a couple days ago. Let me pull this up. It's, it looks like breaking news. There you are, Miss Kennedy, the linguine and clam sauce. Uh, excuse me, I believe I asked you to put a chicken in this and make her gay. Uh, yes, the chef was a little confused what you meant by that. It means put a chicken in the linguine and make her fucking gay! And I want it lame! Oh, wait, that was part of the South Park Pandaverse. I, I couldn't tell the difference between that and reality. They just represent each other so closely. Now, in all seriousness, this comes to us thanks to a website by the name of Bound Into Comi uh, Comics, rather. They noted that Dave Filoni has been promoted to the chief creative officer of Lucasfilm and will now work with Kathleen Kennedy at, quote, the inception phase, unquote, of all future Star Wars projects. And this comes after Star Wars has been, oh, what? they use the force to destroy itself. What's a good Star Wars metaphor that we could use here? The Millennium Falcon crashed into the ground several times. It's beyond, it's near disarray and disrepair. The odds are so mounted against them, they probably can't turn that ship around. Though, a famous pilot would also say, never tell me the odds. Star Wars has become the perfect metaphor for Disney. 
and the disconnect between Disney and the fan base. It's simply a copy of a copy of a copy, and every time they do it, they just degrade the quality more and more and more, and they insert all of these stories that just feel cumbersome, unauthentic, they insert politics into it. It's literally one of the reasons Disney stock has dropped like a rock lately. And what used to be a blue chip stock, a reliable company that would build value over time, has been in such dire disarray and destruction. And she's been credited to ruining both Star Wars, well, Star Wars because it's Lucasfilm, but also Indiana Jones by injecting feminist themes into it, where traditionally it's more masculine, you had a male lead, and just overall ruining the whole franchise. Now, it looks like this is, they're claiming this is an attempt to try to save the Star Wars universe, and Dave has already been working on a few other things at the company. And it looks like this is, pulling it up right here, this is from Dave himself. He says, quote, now I'm what called, I'm what's called a chief creative officer at Lucasfilm. In the past, in a lot of projects I would be brought on to, I would see it after it had already developed a good ways. Unquote. They continue to say that in his role, Filoni will now work directly alongside Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy and head of development Carrie Beck in shaping the Star Wars future. Filoni detailed, quote, in this new role, it's opened up Basically, everything, what's going on, what we're planning in the future, and what we're doing now, I'm involved in the inception phase, unquote. So in other words, perhaps he might be able to nip some of this crap in the butt or salvage the stories before they spend hundreds of millions of dollars building something and creating something that only 18 people want to see. I'm kidding, probably 19. But this is also according to Briz Brezkian. Per their agreement, Kenny will remain in charge of Lucasfilm overall. Beck will bear responsibility for recruiting new creatives on the Star Wars team, and Filoni will be tasked with offering narrative oversight on all future projects. So I almost wonder, perhaps it's for political reasons? Disney just doesn't want to have too much egg on their face and admit how much they destroyed themselves with Kathleen Kennedy? But perhaps they'll never really fire her. Very similar to the Bud Light phenomenon, in which technically they never fired their moron, I mean brilliant, brilliant marketing gal by the name of Alyssa Heiderschild, she was put on a, um, a leave of absence. That was the legal term they consistently used. The rumor is because maybe they thought she would sue them. Other people were saying, well, maybe they just don't want to look too bad. But for a long, even to this day, they contend that Alyssa Hirschau is on a leave of absence. Now, in this case, perhaps they want to save face, what little face they have at Disney, and they just want to nudge her out of the way of destroying everything and having someone who's really going to take oversight. And they, they still give her the title, so of course, if they fire her, they'll be criticized for a myriad of reasons, and they'll be ridiculed. They may even go viral on the Twitter, or as 18 people call it, X. So, elaborating on his position, going back to the article, Filoni said, quote, I'm not telling people what to do, but I do feel like I'm trying to help them tell the best story that they want to tell. I need to help. I need to be a help across the galaxy here, like a part of the Jedi Council, almost. So, yes. A plus for kind of making the Star Wars Potter being relatable to his universe. Let's see here. But he did say it looks like he's going to, again, going to increase some of the factors he's already been a part of. He also said, quote, I'm setting up what seems to be a larger conflict with the Imperial Remnant. The conflict just can't mirror what we've seen before. It has to be taken shape differently. It can't just be the Empire versus what looks like the Rebellion or even the Republic. It has to be visually different, unquote. 
And he does plan to have his silver screen continuation for the Ahsoka story. He continues to say, part of the fan debate is what in the past always used to be what's canon, what's not. Because there was George and we always knew George was the canon. I look at it very broadly and just to say there's just a love of Star Wars. Because I knew George, I worked with him, none of us are going to be him. But we love the galaxy he created and we are now very much a product of it growing up. And they also... He creepily looks like a serial killer. I mean, by the name of Garth Brooks. Alleged serial killer. The data still out. Just fascinating how when he goes on tour, people in the area just disappear. Oddly enough. Alleged. Calm down, Garth. But it'll be interesting to see... Can anyone at this point save Disney? There's also a hostile takeover with activist investors on the left and the right buying up more and more shares in the billions of dollars, mind you, to fight to try to get seats on the board of directors to take over the company and perhaps salvage what they can. Now, let me know in the comments. At this point, is there anything that could realistically turn the Star Wars universe around or turn around the stock price, turn around this continuation of them putting out a copy of a copy of a copy copy? And just becoming more and more degraded time time again. Let me know. Be fast in here. What you have to say. Other interesting cultural news. You have Maryland firearm licensing ruled unconstitutional. A victory for the Second Amendment. And the NRA actually did something. Which, please, take out a notebook and mark your calendars. This is the first time the NRA has done something productive. In a decade or more. I can't help but notice that most of the rights that we've gained with the Second Amendment throughout the past decade have been used, thankfully, in large part, not just because of grassroots activists and individuals, but because of organizations like Gun Owners of America and Firearms Policy Coalition. There's a lot of organizations that are doing a lot of good. NRA, they sure raise a lot of money and call me a lot, but I simply tell them the same thing every time. Is Wayne LaPierre still in charge? He is? No, you will not get a penny from me. It's one of those instances where they're mostly known for bending the knee. The last good thing I can think of that the NRA does, and I know they do some good training and they do some safety uh, training for a lot of people, that's appreciated. But in terms of civil rights and gaining rights back, the last thing I remember the NRA doing was gaining the right for concealed carry in Illinois, which was December 12, 2012. Very easy date to remember. They successfully sued the state and got it to, I believe it was a shall issue, where if you did the application, they were supposed to give you that right you're born with i don't think the government should have that that's why i believe in constitutional carry but your right to actually defend yourself outside of your home now specifically this is coming from the maryland handgun licensing law and it was ruled unconstitutional and this is thanks to u.s news and they noted that this by nate raymond said a u.s appeals court on tuesday declared the maryland's licensing requirements for people seeking to buy handguns were unconstitutional citing a landmark u.s supreme court decision last year that expanded gun rights the three panel or sorry the three Again, I'm not a doctor, but if you click subscribe, it may help with my speaking ineptitudes, my lack of enunciation, and my stuttering. It's not 100% certainty. There's no guarantees in life. However, that very well could be. I'm just saying, it's worth trying out. And nevertheless, back to the article. Quote, a three-panel judge from the state of Richmond. Again, reverse that. Nevertheless, subscribe. Perhaps it will fix this. Quote, a three-judge panel of the Richmond, Virginia-based 4th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals on a two-to-one vote blocked enforcement of a 2013 Maryland law that required people to undergo 
training and background checks before applying for a license to buy handguns, saying it violated the right to keep and bear arms under the United States Constitution's Second Amendment, unquote. Which, yes, is very true. I'm glad they finally ruled in favor of the Bill of Rights and, and the Constitution. It's a rare thing to actually see that happen. And the issue is everyone always barks about, oh, what about the safety? Well, hell is paid. the road to hell is paid with good intentions. That's one of the oldest sayings of all time, and it's very true. And you see this from the most evil governments and states. They'll say, oh, yeah, you can have a gun, but you have to all, have all these requirements. Well, they're going to make the test as long and burdensome as possible and expensive and fiscally painful as possible. You saw this. When Illinois first got that guarantee for that right, they said, okay, now we have to issue them. However, that means we're going to have you take a 12-hour class. Or I actually forget the amount of hours. But it was a prohibitively long amount of class. It was a very hard test. They worded it confusing. They made it as burdensome as possible because they don't want you to have rights. They want the government to have rights, not you which I find morally disgusting, that's morally vacuous and disgusting to say the least. Since if you look at any history book, I know the U.S. public schools really don't teach much history these days, but if you look at any the most evil, heinous acts in history, it's always when the government disarms honest, law-abiding citizens. Now, in these cases, this was just to buy a handgun. So just to buy a handgun, you had to go to the trainings and background checks for getting a license. And you saw this with Illinois. Now, Illinois had, it has this BS, it's called a FOID card. Firearm Owner Identification, whatever that acronym is for. And it was literally the same thing as a background check. But when you buy a firearm from a FFL, Federal Firearm License Dealer, they do the same background check. So Illinois just did it because they knew it was a burden and that most people wouldn't want to take that extra step to fight for their rights. And it, it, in many ways that worked. A lot of people I know in Illinois, they never got that license to buy a gun, even had to have that license to buy ammo. So just to buy ammo, if you were born in the Soviet Union, I mean Illinois, I forget, they're so similar in many ways, that just to buy ammo, you had to have a card. And that card, you had to have the test, and they did background check. And it was the same exact background check you do when you buy a gun. Ridiculous, to say the least. Now, going back to the article, they know that the Supreme Court's 2022 ruling in a case called New York State Rifle and Pistols Association vs. Bruin required gun laws to be, quote, consistent with the nation's historic tradition of firearms regulation in order to survive a second amendment challenge. They continue to say, quote, Maryland had, has not shown that this regime is consistent with our nation's historic tradition of firearm regulation. U.S. Circuit Judge Julius Richardson, an appointee of Republican former President Donald Trump, wrote in the ruling. Richardson called that the Maryland law was, quote, an additional preliminary step that subjected law-abiding people to wait a 30-day waiting period before they can begin the usual process to procure and acquire a firearm through a separate background check system. And don't even get me started on these waiting periods or waiting days. The most hilarious thing about COVID, if you could actually look at a silver lining, is that in California, when the lawlessness had reached peak and the riots were everywhere, which they voted for, is one of those instances where a lot of people that live there, they went to the gun store and go, hey, I, I need a gun to defend myself because the police are being told by the mayor to stand down and do nothing. And the gun stores... All these new gun buyers, they'd say, well, you can do the application today, but you have to wait seven days because that's California law. And the citizens of California were aghast, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Well, you voted for this. You decided those laws. They got passed and you did nothing. And some of those people, ironically, even applauded those laws at the time. And only then did they realize the importance of the Second Amendment and why those laws are unconstitutional and morally vacuous, to say the least. Now, it'll be interesting to see 
how this type of ruling has a ripple effect. Because I can't help but think, in a lot of states, with these types of prohibitive anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment types of rules and laws in place, and even though times might seem bleak and there's a lot of anti-gun states, there seems to be more and more gun rights being won. Now, interestingly enough, in this specific case, if I can pull it up really quick. Now, they noted that this was a NRA-backed the lawsuit that challenged the law that covered the legal cost of litigation, the NRA spokesperson said. So, interestingly enough, they actually did something for once. It is a rare occurrence. Again, mark, mark this in the history books. And again, I understand they do perform some good trainings and they have some good people that work there. But time and time again, I've seen them bend the knee and give the government an inch. And of course, if you give them an inch, they will take a mile. So out of curiosity, let me know in the comments, when it comes to the Second Amendment, who do you think is the best organization to donate to or be a part of to fight for your rights? Is it still the NRA? Or is it something like Gun Owners of America? Or Firearms Policy Litigation? There's a couple organizations that are much, in my opinion, much more effective at gaining our rights. So that's why I'm so astonished to actually see the NRA noted in this article. So let me know in the comments. It'll be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Now going on to the political part of the podcast, you have the Republican primary poll update. Now this is the poll aggregator, and this is thanks to the 538.com. So the website URL is quite literally projects.538.com slash polls slash presidential primary dash R dash 2024 dash national. Now, Trump is actually at an all-time high. And what this poll is, if you've never seen it before, it's a poll aggregator. So it's an average of all the polls that they're taking. Now, that being said, it looks like there have been a lot of polls lately. So this is, and I'm looking at the most recent ones. So between November 10th and November 20th, that's where all these poll, latest polls are from. We got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. So 13 polls that were all, again, they were all within that time period, but all those polls fall within that time period. It looks like the poll durations were a couple days apiece. And the sample sizes are between, again, some not the best, some is only 300, all the way up to 3,619. That one came from Morning Consult. And interestingly enough, of all those polls, only one has DeSantis in the lead, and that was from Harris X. That was 1,000 registered voters taking place between November 15th to November 19th. Now, again, in every other poll, Trump is up by 55 points, 53 points, 51 points, 42 points, 45 points, 49 points, 62 points, 50 points, 58 points, 38 points. So, needless to say, overall, he is ahead by a large margin. Now, again, the sample size of these polls are not great. Again, it's between 300 to, at most, 3,619. And again, I'm not... We would need, a, uh, you could dive into the poll in terms of the geographics, but I'm just gonna keep it high level today. Now, again, as of today, it looks like Trump is at 60.3%. He's at an all time high. Now that me that has DeSantis down to 12, 12.6%. Nikki Haley increased a little bit. She's at 10.0%. Vivek is he's about the same. He's at 4.9%. When I say the same, I compare this last week. Chris Christie's at 2.7%. Bergam is at 0.9%. And Hutchinson is at 
So I cannot believe, again, marketing is very important, especially in politics. When you're thinking about every public facing statement you have, every photo op, the smallest things can make the greatest difference. Also, just having the ability to smile helps some candidates. Now, I cannot believe, I don't know who's left at the DeSantis campaign in terms of marketing department or the PR department, but literally hire anyone else. Like, no one is saying they're doing a good job. Now, these polls all started, so this poll aggregator, if you want to go back to the very beginning, that was January 8th, 2023. That's when all these polls started for this. And at that point, Trump was at 45.2%. DeSantis was at 34.6%. So, again, he was never beating Trump, but that's within moderate spitting distance. Nikki Haley at the time was at 2.6%. Vivek had not even announced he was running yet. Chris Christie's at 1.4%. And then Bergman Hutchinson had not announced yet. Mike Pence is at 8.8%. Tim Scott was at 1%. So Trump went, went Trump literally went from 45.2% to 60.3%. DeSantis went from 34.6% to 12.6%. Nikki Haley actually went up. She's now at 10%. And Vivek is again, he's at five about five percent or four point nine. Chris Christie's, even he's, ex- eh, he went up by a little bit. He's now at 2.9% still. Again, everyone, pretty much everyone's improved, except DeSantis. Again, the averages for most of these other candidates are up. The only exception is DeSantis. Vivek had a little bit of a blip, but he's still better than when he started out. Yeah, because Vivek, he started around 0 or 0.8 to 1%. And he did have that bump where he got up to around 11%. So Vivek definitely needs a bump in the polls because he's gone down a little bit. But no one's gone down more than DeSantis. And I can't but wonder, again, how are are these other candidates going to close the gap? Is it even possible? Again, a lot of things can happen. There's still a lot of time. Sometimes a day can feel like an eternity. And just one publicity stunt could shoot someone to the top. Maybe. I mean, it's never out of the realm of possibility. But let me know in the comments, who are you most surprised to hear is changing in these polls? I'm My three cents, again, used to be two cents, but four-year hype inflation, got to be three cents. Should be four, but I'm a generous man, just three cents today. Though, still free to click the subscribe button down there. Or there, there. However your phone is oriented, or in the rare case, your desktop computer. Now, I don't know how Vivek has dropped so much, Interestingly enough, when you look at Vivek's social media, he's very articulate. And most of the responses, when you dive into the comment section, most of them are positive. Now, again, social media doesn't directly correlate to voter turnout and these polls. I know there's obviously a disconnect there. Some people who aren't even on social media. But I'm actually pretty surprised that Vivek has been going down. Perhaps this is a couple of his latest political statements, or maybe people are moving over and starting to vote for different candidates in the primary. Again, a lot of people are going to be voting for Trump no matter what. So it'll be interesting to see. And with DeSantis, I mean, 12.6%? Every move he makes is just stepping on a... One of my favorite metaphors people keep bringing up in political analysis is he's just stepping on a rake and the rake's... The handle of the rake is just slapping him in the face. But someone's placing those rakes there. I think Tim Pool famously said it on his show a couple weeks back. And so there's there's some conspiracies saying maybe the people working in DeSantis' campaign are secretly Donald Trump supporters... 
But even if that was true, DeSantis should be a prudent enough leader to know, okay, these people, these guys are doing me bad. These guys aren't helping me increase my poll numbers. Fire them, get someone else. Because again, why are you keeping these people on your campaign staff? They're not helping. Look at the polls. It's only going down. I mean, DeSantis, he's made one or two like jumps in the recovery. It's like a really bad stock. It's almost worse than the container store stock. And that's down pretty bad. Although I don't think anything is worse than Lumen Technologies. Nevertheless, it's those instances where I'm not, I've really not seen that trend reverse for DeSantis. And let me know in the comments. Again, who do you think is going to have the biggest upside? In the next couple of weeks, who's going to increase their numbers the most? And then why do you, do you think DeSantis will fire his campaign staff? Or what is he going to do, is it, if anything, to increase his numbers specifically? Be fascinating here, what you have to say. Other interesting political news, you have Chris Christie claiming Trump is senile and can't remember who he's running against. So it is always fascinating when Chris Christie is a... What's a nice way? If he's throwing, as a youth might say, if he's throwing shade at anyone, it's highly... There's a lot of material to work with when it comes to the criticism of Chris Christie, not just physically, and I mean, and fiscally in terms of the policies, but it's one of those instances where a lot of the talking points that he's using... They're more traditional Democrat talking points. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people who are Democrat-minded who may be in the Republican Party, but, I mean, half the jokes about Chris, Chris Christie is that he's running on the wrong ticket. He should be running for the Democratic Party nominee. But, nevertheless, now this is a brief video, and before the video, Chris Christie says, quote, Donald Trump is out there giving rambling speeches and can barely remember who he's even running against half the time. It's the Vindication and Ve Vengeance Tour. We can and must do better. Join us today, chrischristie.com. And there's a video, and for him, it went moderately viral. Got 102,000 views, and interestingly enough, it did not get zero likes. I, I, I had to rub my eyes and say, really? I thought it only got two likes. It's actually 2,000 likes. So that's not nothing for Chris Christie. That's pretty good for him. So without further ado, and again, of course, he's on CNN. We'll go ahead and play the clip. The problem is that, you know, he's out there you know, arguing his case to a limited audience. Um, he's not spending any time on TV like I am with you answering questions. Um, he's not doing town hall meetings. He goes out, he gives a two-hour rambling speech where half the time he can't even remember who he's running against. Says he's running against Barack Obama. It's the Vindication and Vengeance Tour um, where he's going to, you know, go out and tell all the people that he's going to get to um, if he's president again. This is hardly inspiring stuff, and I think that's why you see the country so against a, a Trump-Biden rematch. The problem is... Again, I'm not sure if it's a bug or feature, but they always have the re video replay automatically on Twitter, or as 18 people call it, X. Now, he says, well, yeah, Trump thinks he's running against Obama. That's what a lot of people are speculating, because when you see the Biden interviews or Biden is speaking... A lot of people do not believe he has his cognitive abilities with him. And there's a lot of rumors that there are other people influencing his decisions like Barack Obama. Obama famously said he would love to be president if he just, you know, hang out somewhere in sweatpants and make the calls. So it's one of those instances where do you honestly believe that Biden is making all the calls right now in the White House? Or... Is it a myriad of variables, including his staff, maybe former people like Obama? I don't think Trump is saying that because he's senile. If he's 
listen, Trump's speak is pretty articulate. He is absolutely um, upset with a lot of people who screwed him over in the past and a lot of people who stabbed him in the back. And a lot of the things that were conspiracy theories yesterday turned out to be fact today, such as the Russia dossier, the little P-tape. I mean, there are a lot of things that, oh yeah, we were told this, you know, absolutely not true. And then, truth be told, they were spying on Trump's campaign. We were told that was a conspiracy theory. But no, even as early as, I think, 2015, the Obama administration was actually spying on his campaign. That, that was released data. We can all read about that now. So, my three cents, again, I don't think Trump is senile because he's saying he's running up against Barack Obama. But let me know in the comments, do you think that statement is intentional by Trump and he knows exactly what he's saying? Or do you think he's lost his marbles? Again, it'd be fascinating to hear what you have to say. Now, it'd be fascinating to see there's a phenomenon in which I actually coined on the show, not to uh, toot my own horn, but there is what we call the Chris Christie effect, which is a mathematical anomaly in which you get zero positive responses. Which again, if you have hundreds of thousands of followers, you have 100,000 people seeing your videos, well, one would suppose you'd have someone in your family, your campaign staff, maybe a neighbor you were nice to once. Someone would say something nice about your original statement. But truth be told, on two separate occasions, we found phenomena in which no one said a positive response to Chris Christie from to his original tweet and statement. Which again is a mathematical anomaly to say the least. The Chris Christie effect is all too real. So let's dive in, see if there's a repeat of that, or perhaps there are some positive responses and maybe he's going to turn around his campaign. I mean, mathematically, I don't think it's possible. The odds are certainly against him, to say the least. But we shall dive in and find out. The first comment comes from someone by the name of Fred Johnson. says, quote, Chris is running for a job at CNN, unquote. And interesting enough, he used two laughy emojis and the pregnant man emoji, uh, which is some people might say all too accurate since Chris Christie is a large man, to say the least. And that got 251 likes. Blame it on Brenda. She also says, quote, that's literally you, Christy. Look in the mirror, unquote. Getting 113 likes. Scrolling down. <laughs> literally, someone by name, so someone by the name of CM Dorsey says, blub, blub, blub. And it's a picture of a very overweight child bathing in the kitchen sink. And again, I normally wouldn't mention something as silly as crass as that, but it got 101 likes. And that's one of the top responses. So definitely worth mentioning. Someone by the name of E. Lee Zimmerman says, quote, Meanwhile, Chris Christie is struggling to fill up a senator's... Senator's... Yeah, it's so awkward to say that, but I'm going to read it exactly as it's written. So he says, quote, Meanwhile, while Chris Christie is struggling to fill up a senator's senator's activity room, unquote, got 59 likes. Ronald Bishop says, quote, Says the man on the revenge tour, ha ha ha, unquote, getting 36 likes. Bob says, quote, drop out, you have zero chance, getting 45 likes. Right Side of the Moon says, quote, Chris, you have seven days left on your campaign. Stop talking, stop taking people's money, unquote, getting 39 likes. America's Brushfire says, quote, he doesn't remember because you don't matter, unquote, getting 44 likes. Tally says, quote, tinfoil for your mind, and it's a picture of people with tinfoil hats. And it says, take off your hat, Christy, as well, it's getting 13 likes. <laughs> Someone by the name of Eric says, quote, 2% says what? Unquote. And I got 89 likes. And, I mean, he says 2%. But in full transparency, Chris Christie does have, let's see, I know it fluctuates like a stock market. 
2.7%. So selling him a little short. Well, he is short, so it's a pun there in and of itself. But yeah, that, was, uh, that did get 89 likes. Mega Country says, quote, live from Golden Corral Studios. And as someone, this might age me a little bit, but as someone throwing a boombox into someone's face and it says STFU. Now, if you're the youth, a boombox is a fascinating contraption about the size of half this desk in which it would actually play music for you and you use something called a cassette or if you're fortunate enough in later in time, a CD-ROM. How times have changed. Nevertheless, that got 96 likes. Garrett Kramer says, quote, you're right where you belong on CNN, unquote, 11 likes. Renee Girdley says, quote, your jealousy is be unbecoming as your waist, unquote, getting 55 likes. Someone did a picture of what looks like a melting blob of a man saying Chris Christie dropped out and he's laying on the ground getting 83 likes. Chris Nelson says, quote, Chris Christie is making Trump look like a coward in a... Wait, I, I have to do double take. This may be a positive response. Ladies and gentlemen, we very well just found a positive response to Chris Christie's post. Mark, mark this in history books. Let's reread it. Just to be safe and sure. Again, Chris Nelson says, quote, Chris Christie is making Trump look like a coward and a crybaby. That's pretty bad, unquote. And that, get, that got 27 likes. So we did find, I just do a little bit of scrolling to be sure, but there was a positive response to Chris Christie's tweet. So he did not achieve the Chris Christie effect. The phenomenon is not apt to, to this particular instance. Someone by the name of Newbie Colony says, quote, Trump is fading fast. There's honestly a look to defeat in him. It'll be wild if he degrades so fast that Biden actually outlasts him. I'm quoting 12 likes, which, again, that's not what the numbers of the polls are saying, but that's a statement. Let's see here. Screw the invasion says, quote, you screwed us and got Obozo elected. You are a disgrace. Is a picture of him, hap or Chris Christie, happily holding the hand of Barack Obama. And that got 19 likes. Someone by the name of I'm Fancy, though, I don't know if this person gets an A-plus marketing, I'd say D-minus, because they say they're fancy, and yet they don't have a picture of a top hat, a monocle, or a whiskey glass in their profile picture. Nevertheless, this alleged fancy person has a picture of Chris Christie, and it says in the font, nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room, unquote. I got 58 likes. Let's see here. Scrolling down, there's a lot of people just saying Trump 2024, getting between five and six likes, as many of those statements. A lot of people asking if Chris Christie is inebriated or perhaps eating too much copious amounts of Chris, Krispy Kreme donuts, which it may, if with enough copious amounts of sugar, you may actually degrade the brain cells and the, it might be a thing. Further science is necessary. Let's see here. A lot of people calling him a clown. So, as the youth would say, he was viciously ratioed. And again, I can't but wonder, is Chris Christie running for a cabinet position on the Biden campaign? Because at this point, maybe DeSantis will like Chris Christie because Chris Christie, he's focusing a lot of his energy attacking Trump. That's how he got to 3%, or near 3% in the polls, is that there are people in the Republican Party they'll never vote for Trump. They want the never-Trumpers. Now, I don't think that will actually get the Republican nominee because I think the greatest percentage in the Republican Party would vote for Trump, and that's what these preliminary polls are showing. So, again, let me know in the comments, what do you think Chris Christie's real plan is? And if you think 
he'll be able to recover this, or maybe he'll get a cabinet position somewhere. Be fascinating here what you have to say. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Kia Hyundai to recall about 6 million vehicles due to a fire risk. Now, for those who aren't gearheads or in the automotive community, Kia and Hyundai for many years are actually the same company and the same, they're different brands of the same company. So very similar to how General Motors owns both Cadillac as well as Chevrolet, well, as well as GMC and Buick. It's the same parent company, but different brands and different individual vehicles. Incidentally, they share a lot of the components because that's a great way to save cost. Now, specifically, they're actually recalling about 6.4 million of their vehicles. And this is thanks to the OG resource, good old Yahoo Finance, which I might be dating myself, but that was the OG search engine, as the youth might say, or as the retirees or the old folks like myself might say. Now, this comes to us after U.S. safety regulators earlier said that they had opened a probe into sex. 16 separate recalls issued by Hyundai and Kia covering 6.4 million vehicles related to brake fluid leaks that could result in fires. Looks like the Korean automakers have issued a string of recalls for since 2016 for anti-lock braking systems and hydraulic electronic control units issues manufactured by the same parts supplier. The National Highway Traffic Association Safety Administration said it is opening up an audit query to evaluate the timeliness of Kia and Hyundai's uh, defect decision-making quote, and adherence with reporting requirements and understanding the varying defect descriptions and remedies beyond these recalls. Let's that, I mean, between these recalls. Hyundai said that it is, quote, fully cooperating with NHTSA and puts the safety of our customers, employees on its top priority in everything we do, unquote, and they will, quote, will work closely in cooperation with the NHTSA review. Now, Hyundai also noted that in September, it reports of 21 fires and 21 other thermal incidents since 2017, while Kia reported, had reports of at least 10 confirmed fires and melting incidents. Kia said that the HECU in the vehicles may experience electronic short that may result in brake fluid leaks. Hyundai said that the ABS module may leak brake fluid internally and cause electronic short. Now, the U.S. units of Hyundai and Kia in November 2020 agreed to a record 210 million civil penalty after the NHTSA said that they failed to recall 1.6 million vehicles for the engine issues in a timely fashion and, in, and had inaccurately reported some information. So again, one of, the precari- one of the downsides of automobile companies, not all, but a majority of them, they don't make a lot of components of the vehicle. They use a myriad of suppliers, which many would argue you actually have to these days because vehicles have become so complex and have so many components in them. And again, you need to make sure you test those parts thoroughly, case in point in this instance, because no matter what subcomponent you're using, maybe it's a Bosch um, piece of electronics, or maybe it's a Tata engineered airbag. And then the day, the consumer really doesn't care who made that component. Your logo and your brand is on the hood and the rear. Or if you're BMW, it's all over because they put the badges everywhere. But nevertheless, the consumer's perception is that Hyundai and Kia are the ones making this an issue. It's their problem. Which it's rough because it looks like that specific component, as noted in this report, that was a supplier. That wasn't actually a Kia Hyundai. Traditionally, you see a lot of automobile companies, they'll manufacture their engines, their transmissions, a lot of the powertrain, with the exception of stuff like the Toyota Supra, <clears throat> BMW. But nevertheless, it's one of the downsides of when you have such a diversified portfolio of suppliers all those different pieces coming together, you just need to have extra testing, extra processes in place to actually endurance test these and make sure they're reliable over time. But there's so many components, inevitably, it is unfortunate sometimes things slip through the cracks, which I believe is one of the reasons why 
they say cars are now more reliable than ever. In some ways, yes, but statistically, no, because they have a greater number of recalls than cars made decades ago, partially because they become so complex with so many extra components, which is partially why I'm, on, I'm a little bit of an old soul. I prefer to have very little doodads, knickknacks, and what have you in the vehicle. Personally, I'd rather just have three pedals, a good old manual transmission, and a combustion engine, with at most a luxury maybe including something like a heated seat and a CD player. Anything beyond that, I don't know, to me the reliability issues gets into it because more and more things can break, but that's just my three cents in that regard. So let me know in the comments, do you think this will dent the integrity or the per brand perception of Kia and Hyundai? I mean, they've made huge strides in the past couple of decades. They used to be the butt of every joke in the 90s because the build quality was so poor. Thanks to German engineering, and it's because they actually had some German executives go from Volkswagen to Kia Hyundai, they become much more competitive and actually be in the competition in many ways. And to this day, have one of the best warranties bar none for their powertrain. I believe it's still the industry best at like 10 years, 100,000 miles, which is unparalleled in the automotive community. So let me hear. I'd love to hear what you have to say. But again, when you've made such a good turnaround as a company, you're having more innovation, you're making your vehicles more reliable. To have this type of instance where you actually have a recall, that's, that's got to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Don't forget to take the time to really write a couple good comments in terms of the feedback is greatly appreciated, even if it's harsh. I always say, even if it's a harsh critique, that's how you grow the most. Also trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of November. So if you can click that button, I mean, especially appreciate it. Lastly, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe, fight the good fight.